Welcome to Home of the Brave. I'm Scott Carrier. Back in the old days, human beings and grizzly bears used to live together. We, or they, somehow got along. They migrated together from Asia to North America, arriving in Montana 13,000 years ago. The bears spread out to the east as far as Chicago, south to Durango, Mexico, and up the west coast to Seattle, Canada, Alaska. People lived with them in all these places, in the same valleys, next to the same rivers, wilderness in all directions. People back then thought the bear was a sacred animal, smarter than they were. They called it teacher and shaman. To them, it was the supreme being. And this social arrangement must have worked because it lasted for 13,000 years until a new kind of human showed up on the scene, white men with guns who proceeded to kill almost all the grizzly bears and almost all the native people and take almost all their land. 95% of the native people died and the grizzly population dropped from 100,000 to 1,000 in the lower 48 states. In 1975, the federal government put the grizzly bear on the list of endangered species, making it illegal to hunt them or to encroach upon their remaining territory but now it looks like the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is going to take the greater Yellowstone grizzly off the list, making it legal once again to hunt them for sport and to extract commodities like gold, oil, and timber from their land. Most of the people who live in and around the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, ranchers, outfitters, people who live in small towns, they think hunting grizzly bears is a good idea because they believe there's too many of them now and hunting is the best way to manage the population. It's a huge and heated argument. To me, I love hunting. And I, I think of grizzly as a magnificent animal. However, you've got to control the predator, the top of the pyramid, just like you control the prey. This is Harold Turner, owner of the Triangle X Dude Ranch in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. He takes clients out on fishing and hunting trips. I would take somebody grizzly hunting because obviously if they're gonna pay that much money for, for a license, which I think I saw somewhere that Wyoming's proposed $6,000 a pop for a grizzly bear. Uh, you know, they, they, I, have no, I have no problem in shooting a grizzly bear. If they were really, if I felt they were extinct, then I would have a problem. But, you know, facts are facts. And that's one of the problems with the whole thing. This is where the politics come into it. Because I look at the culture, and it's, it, it's, it's a lot deeper than hunting. I look at the culture that we have created in this country now, what we're doing with our whole way of life. Uh, we were just talking about this the other night, and I would hate to see us have to go to war with, in a World War II type of a conflict with the type of young people we're bringing up compared to what we had in the, in the early 40s. I'd like to say they're soft, but they, well, they're just not, they're not tough. I mean, we... And it, this is strictly personal, but you might say the redneck philosophy 
is what made this country the greatest country in the world. And we as a society now, I think, have, have gone so far the other way. You know, the, the problem with the public debate over grizzly bears is that it is so tribal. Journalist Todd Wilkinson lives in Bozeman, Montana. It isn't just driven by the grizzly bear. It's driven by personal agendas. It's driven by personal animosities. It's driven by diff people in different kinds of silos. And sometimes I think people are shouting past each other. And I think that ranchers who are living with bears out there on the landscape and doing it in ways where doing it without conflict are, are to be commended instead of broadly uh, painted with a brush as being anti-grizzly because there are a lot of ranchers out there who aren't anti-grizzly. I think there's a lot of room to come together and have a discussion about this. Um, unfortunately, uh, this issue, as much as wolves, it just riles people at this visceral level. And as for the debate over whether we should hunt grizzly bears or not, I don't think that that divide will ever be overcome. Now, I haven't taken argued either one of those sides. I'm, I've been trying to add light but not heat. David Quammen wrote about this problem in a recent issue of National Geographic magazine. It was a whole issue devoted to Yellowstone National Park. It's now published as a photo essay book. I've been trying to say in the magazine version and in the book, look, some people say this is a no-brainer for this reason or that reason. You really do need to use your brains. You should educate yourselves, people. We should all educate ourselves better. This is a complicated decision, and there are certainly arguments against delisting the bear. There are also some arguments that are made in favor of delisting the bear. Those arguments need to be listened to and, and analyzed. What do you think the strong arguments are for delisting the bear? Well, the argument for delisting, as I understand it, circles particularly around social tolerance. And it goes this way. And I'm not making this argument. I'm describing this argument. And I've heard it from people uh, who, who make this argument fairly persuasively. And that is that currently um, the bear is listed. It's protected by the federal government. It's their bear. It's the federal government's bear. It's the conservationist's bear. And for people who have lived on this landscape for years and decades and generations and who, who love to hunt, whether they hunt for meat or they hunt for trophies, it's their bear. It's not our bear. So the hell with it. They're, it's their damned bear. The federal government. Yes, and, and, those, and those conservationists who live in Bozeman. I had one hunting guide, I spent eight days with him in the backcountry of Yellowstone in a thoroughfare area, who described this argument. He's a guide out of Cody, spends his life in the mountains on horseback. His brother, younger brother, is an outfitter, and he works for his younger brother as a guide. And he was saying, okay, I don't want to hunt a bear. I have no desire to kill a bear. But if my neighbor poaches a grizzly bear and hangs it in his garage and comes down to the bar and brags about it, I'm not going to turn him in. I'm not going to turn him in. But if there is a legal hunt, there's a lottery for, say, five bears to be killed in the parts of the state of Wyoming 
that might be open to bear hunting. He said, under that circumstance, when everybody who puts in has a chance of a bear permit, if they want one, under those circumstances, then if my neighbor poaches a bear and hangs it in his garage and comes down to the bar and brags about it, I'm going to turn him in and 10 other people in that bar are going to turn him in because now it's our bear and we care about it. That's the argument. And that's connecting to what I mentioned, social tolerance. One successful way of increasing social tolerance has been to compensate ranchers for livestock loss to grizzly bears. If there's a problem bear, the state wildlife people come in and trap it and then either relocate it or euthanize it if necessary. Then the ranchers are paid seven times the fair market value of their loss. Actually, all the ranchers we met were in favor of grizzly bears and had worked to help them recover, but most of them also thought it was time to delist them now. Why do you feel about trophy hunting of grizzly bears? I think if they do it in the proper manner, I think it's a good resource tool. I don't think you need to go up in the thoroughfare or in the wilderness and and hunt those bears because they're not causing any problems. Peter and Kathleen Jakoski live on a ranch east of Cody, Wyoming. You get down here, the more populated areas where people are trying to make a living off the land, and the bears are moving in here, and those those are the ones that get into trouble. They they break into cabins and and break into grain bins and kill livestock. And in the past, we've had predation problems, and we had. Uh, one bear and he'd come in and kill in the irrigated pasture and he'd kill a calf every other night and because it'd take him he'd kill it and eat half of it come back and eat the other half and then kill again and we had two calves that got injured because the cattle were stampeded in the night and they were running into fences and you know running in the river and all the time that bear was around which is probably over a week those cows they were so nervous they wouldn't eat they just get on a tight little bunch and ball and the cows and the calves were losing weight all the time that bear was harassing them so those are those are costs that that I have to absorb myself there's no way you can get any compensation out of that I think we needed the Endangered Species Act some of my colleagues don't but I think homo sapiens we are incredibly greedy this is Kathleen Peter's wife and so we have to legislate sharing the planet that's just how we are but on the, the creatures that have benefited from it, such as the grizzly bear, when people follow those laws, and when I say those people, I mean people such as us changing the way we live, you know, the hunting, we'll have laws on the books, and then citizens will comply with them. Legislatures will comply with them, be they state legislatures. And they work toward plans for restoration or whatever, okay? Grizzly bear is one of them. What I don't agree with is when you know that it's the, the law has been complied with, that you still object to it, not, you know, you don't want the bears to come off, okay? That, is, that, to me, is intrinsically unfair because there are a number of fish and wildlife people that know it should come off the list. They're ready to take it off the list. And when it's taken and looked at, and then, then the government still will, and it's not always the government. It's because extremist groups will challenge the government, and they have challenged on the grizzly bear, okay? in the American society, you cannot be stopped from suing. And so they can challenge again and again. And so their technique is they have taken a wonderful law like the ESA and used it, the mechanism of delay works the same as stop, okay? 
people are worn out. You know, the people who are directly affected, like us, it's hard to get them to go to the meetings now because they don't think anybody wants to really listen to them. Nobody we spoke with liked the public meetings, and I don't think any minds were changed by the public dialogue. This is longtime environmental activist Louisa Wilcox, who lives near Livingston, Montana. You have a policy system that is hardwired to service only ranchers and hunters, even though that is not the constituency for anything in Yellowstone Park. The constituency for Yellowstone Park and the wildlands that surround it are people who live nationwide. The national public still has a seat at the table. And if you don't live here and you're not a rancher or a hunter and male, you don't get a voice. And that is undemocratic. You've seen this. I've seen this. I have gone to public meetings of state game agencies for 30 years and been ridiculed and laughed at because I was a woman and because I wasn't giving the politically convenient message of promoting ranching and hunting above all other interests. I was speaking for grizzly bears and wolves and other animals. And just as these state game agencies um, are gender insensitive, so they are racist. And uh, there is no group that's been more maligned by the states of the Northern Rockies than the tribes and they're speaking out against delisting, they're asking Secretary of Interior Sally Jewell the same thing that the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe is asking relative to the uh, pipeline, Dakota Access Pipeline, um, under the Missouri River. They're asking for consultation. And we have many of the same tribes involved in the grizzly bear issue as involved in Standing Rock. A couple of days after Wilcox said this, the beginning of October, there was a meeting of the tribes at Jackson Lake Lodge, just south of Yellowstone National Park. They met to sign a treaty condemning trophy hunting of grizzly bears, Hopi, Shoshone, Blackfoot, Cheyenne. They smoked a pipe and signed the treaty, and it went unnoticed by the media. This is Ben Abamsa and Cliff Ami Sr. We are uh, leaders, uh, clan leaders of our tribe, Hopi. Bear clan. The bear is uh, really the one that guided us to, to where we live today on Hopi. And uh, so we became the leaders. We are the leaders of our, our people. I'm of the Tewa people. I'm the leader of my uh, clan, the bear clan. We're Tewa. We live along the Rio Grande. And the grizzly bear, whose name is Mahudeke in our language, he's the first. He's got the wisdom. He's got the uh, a cure for all diseases. He's got the knowledge to um, compare us and take us from this earth to the universe and back. He's got the uh, ability to indicate or instruct the bear clan people on how to take our people into the future. And um, he's named in our prayers and our songs as that person and we continue that ceremony uh, today. We have our culture, our traditions, and so on. As native people, as the first people here in, on this continent, we have that right, a sovereign right, to continue with our religion, continue with our traditions. And that's, that is something the federal government does not understand. 
the, the federal government has an executive order on consultation. We have a right to be at the table, and that did not happen. The Fish and Wildlife Service said, yeah, we'll, we will go through a formal consultation, but that did not happen. Did they tell you why it didn't happen? Because they have, they have a purpose. They have, a, they have a, an agenda. They want to open the, the grizzly bear for trophy hunting. That's, that is the pur- purpose of what, why the federal government is going about delisting, proposing to delist the grizzly. And in, in these times when we have situations like this, we come together as one nation, as the indigenous nations, as the first people, and we want to keep and maintain that sacred covenant we have with our creator because we still respect that, that what the, what the, um, the wisdom, the, the healing power it brings. The bear is, uh, it is a supreme being. I think for certain, I think there's a tremendous amount of wisdom in traditional people throughout the world, and you can perhaps learn from that. There's teachable wisdom there. I have not sought it out myself. This is Doug Peacock. He lives in Paradise Valley, Montana. You know, I don't adapt. Uh, I don't, I, I've, I've had to figure out things for myself. And the way you... The way you make a modern-day mythology is you, all ancient relationships of ever, aboriginal people and hunters with their animals with the process of reciprocity. And that is it, you know, redemption. It's like green stamps. You get something, you give something. And the grizzly bears gave me the gift of life. Peacock was a Green Beret medic in Vietnam during the Tet Offensive. He was in a battle where 180 men, women, and children were killed or wounded and he was the only medic. He came home with a serious case of traumatic stress and found he could only stay sane by living with grizzly bears. I think, you know, for for a soldier uh, who's seen war, seen a lot of war, and you're war sick, I think you have to confront a peril, the equivalent of war, without destroying the source of that peril or risk. In my case, the risk was grizzly bears. I have no desire to, to dominate, study, photograph, kill a bear. I'm not going to carry a gun, and if things don't go so-so, blow the bear away. That'd be horrible manners, among other things, bad manners. I think the grizzly bear, in the lives of modern humans, is the greatest metaphor we have to teach ourselves how to live on Earth because it teaches us that uh, there's things beyond ourselves. And that is the greatest lesson for humans at this juncture, this crucial juncture in our history on Earth. We are no longer in control. You know, it's too late. And we refuse to even back off for a minute and say, you know, uh, the, well, you know, the warming temperature is uh, sure taking care of the whitebark pine nut and it's probably going to affect... You know, the insects and all the other stuff the bears eat. Um, you know, it is Western manifest destiny. It's Christian dominion. It's a value system that only sees animals as entities that human beings can use in some way. And it's impossible to think of a grizzly bear as an entity unto itself that has its own sense of destiny. And why can't we grant that little bit of freedom to other beings, because I think that's, that's a source of that's a source of all human intolerance. The way we treat our wildlife, and the way we treat other cultures, other races, 
other colors, other linguistic groups, it draws from the same well. And in our relationship with wild nature, I think is at the base of this. What's the common well? The common well is tolerance and respect for otherness. And otherness. And I said other other animals, especially the fierce man eaters that I love so much, other races, other other you know colors of people, uh, linguistic groups, the whole shittery. Doug Peacock is now petitioning President Obama to step in and stop the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service from delisting the grizzly bear. The president has this authority, and Peacock is collecting signatures on a website called savetheyellowstonegrizzly.org. I'm promoting it because I believe what Peacock says about reciprocity. Anybody who spent time in the wilderness, I think, understands this. The website, savetheyellowstonegrizzly.org, is at least worth a look because it has video testimonials by Jeff Bridges, Jane Goodall, Yvonne Chouinard, Terry Tempest Williams, Carl Hyacin, and Michael Keaton. I'd like to thank everyone who talked to me for these stories, especially those who were in favor of delisting and legal trophy hunts. They didn't have to talk to me. A lot of people said no on this one, actually. But they did it, I think, because they wanted their voices heard. A lot of listeners have written in asking if I'm going to Standing Rock, and the answer is I'm going to leave tomorrow morning. I want to try to talk to the police, ask them where they went to school, who taught them to point guns at peaceful protesters. It's now one day before the presidential election, and like everybody else, I'm worried. I don't know where we'll be next week or next month or next year. We're not one country anymore but two or three or four. I want to keep talking to people and producing radio stories, however bad it gets, because I think it helps to listen, and like Tom Hanks says, there's no crying in baseball. However, I need to raise some money. The home of the Brave Bank account is not looking so good. It's a bit frightening, actually, so I need to ask for donations. Home of the Brave has somewhere between 100 to 150,000 listeners around the world. So far, about 2,000 people have donated, subscribed, or bought stuff, which I very much appreciate, but I need to increase this number, like double it magically by a wave of the hand. If you like this show and want to keep it going, now is the time to donate, subscribe, or buy a t-shirt, patch, or tote bag. We have new t-shirts, different colors, and if you buy one now, I'll include a patch. And anyone who donates $100 or more, I'll thank them by name on the air. Also, I'm open to public speaking engagements at your college, in your town. I can talk about the possibilities of podcasting, the way I hope it'll be done in the future, not only here in America, but around the world. I'd like to thank Liza Lichtenfeld and Bob Jackson former backcountry ranger in Yellowstone National Park, and give a shout-out to the local restaurant in Cody, Wyoming. That's what it's called, The Local, because they serve local food, and it's excellent. Also, thanks to Gentry Densley for the music. Again, our website is homebrave.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>